Jay Crawford, Adam the Bull, Garrett Bush, and so many big names, it would take me hours to say all of their names. The ultimate Cleveland sports show. Booyah! What is up, ladies and gentlemen? No bull today, no G. Bush. It is McNuggets in the host chair alongside. What you mean, what you mean no G. Bush? <coughs> Did I say no G. Bush? Yeah, you just no, I said no me. bull or J. You said no bull, no G. Bush. Get the hell out of here. He's out of here. I was like, but I'm right here. Well, I showed Jay's up. Jay's not here. G. Bush did show up. G. Bush was early today. Shout out G. Bush. He's been on a streak, by the way, about a month and a half. Iron Man. Of early G. Bush after a. I was the last one today. 10 month hiatus of being early. Jason Lloyd in the house. Today we got Earl of Pearl. Back there behind the glass. How you doing this morning, Earl? What's going on, man? Everybody out there on that set doing me, Steve, Anthony back here holding it down, doing what we do. Yeah, you guys are behind the glass. And before we get into today's stuff, I want to mention something we did last night. I want to give G a special shout out. I saw this. Yeah, I did. So we're going to do this has been something Earl, myself and Anthony have been speaking about for a while. And uh, we did the first one last night. We're calling it the behind the glass cast, essentially a, a podcast, a live stream. We're going to hop on, try and do it once a week. Me, Anthony, Earl. Shooting the, you know, talking whatever is going on in the world that day. I, I know we can say shit, and sometimes I just feel bad about actually saying it. So, like, it, it's that hesitation. It's that real TV somewhere, background coming in. Somewhere Bulls, like, bad job out of you, McDougat. Squirrel oh, pair. He's definitely cursing me, yeah. cursing me off right now. But, yeah, we hopped down. We talked about 45 minutes on some Cavs rumors. G. Bush was in the chat. Yeah. Spitting out rumors. I was like, yeah, I was starting all the rumors. And then telling them that Jason Lloyd actually said it. <laughs> Jason Lloyd told me yesterday. <laughs> no. You're trying to get me. But no, we broke down some of the Darius Garland. Is he going to be traded? Is he not going to be traded? Rumors. The future of the Cavs and free agency, which I know we'll touch on again tomorrow. But if you didn't, go check it out. It's called Behind the Glass. I like it. I like it. It is on our YouTube channel. And the one thing we could do there that's a little differently than what we can do here it's a live stream like a post game show so we get more fan interaction we take comments live we can put them on the screen for whatever reason and i do not know the answer our systems downstairs in the studio don't actually have the capability to put comments on the screen but restream hmm. you just click on it and it pops up so we can interact with you guys more uh we had a lot of fun earl was not with us last night but he will be with us on the next behind the glass cast so earl i know you said you got a chance to go back and watch did you have fomo not being there last night on the first ever behind the glass. Man, anytime cast. I'm not behind the glass with my boys, uh, it's 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 a tough thing to you know watch from the outside. But I thought you and Anthony killed it. This man right here to my right, I think he doesn't give himself enough credit of how talented he is and his own growth. So shout out to my man Anthony who was out there killing it. Make sure that you all are tuned in to that. We're gonna try to do this like what once a week. I liked it. Once a week, if there's something breaking, maybe maybe more, but at least for the summer months here. I liked it once a week. And if you guys like it enough, then maybe it comes twice a week. But for now, it is once a week behind the glass. Hopefully you guys uh, go back, check it out. A lot of fun stuff. And Jason, before we get into anything today, and Earl, we'll get to the Guardians in one sec. But we were taking some trade ideas from the chat, which could always get a little crazy. You know, hmm. you know these are yeah. unfathomed and out there. One person mentioned yesterday, Wemby from Mobley and Garland. <laughs> Spurs would not do that. That's no. what I said. But I yeah. thought it was, it was a fun, you know, uh, yeah. fun hypothetical. And then somebody, one of you said, I think it may be you, you said that Spurs wouldn't do it for anybody. I don't think there's, yeah, I, I don't think they trade 1B for anybody. I, I yeah. mean, if they said Jokic for 1B straight up, maybe. Giannis, maybe, but I, I don't yeah. think they trade him for anybody. Yeah, I think. I tend to agree with that, I think, just because of the age and contract, contract. Yeah. with yeah. 1B. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think there's anyone in the league they trade them for. And the new CBA comes into effect tomorrow. We're going to break that down for everybody. It doesn't start tomorrow. It comes into effect on July 1st, but free agency does start tomorrow, and those have some hand-in-hand -hand ties together. We'll break that down for you tomorrow. And before we get to today's topic, Earl, you got some giveaways yeah, we, and some reasons. We got some giveaways. We got a couple orders of business that we need to get taken care of, but, Mike, I think we might have found another nickname for Anthony. Shout out to Freddie B in the chat, the Prince of Parma. Oh. I, I think I like that. I still I like, like can't. I still like Cantus Spelly. <laughs> well, Prince of Parma just call him Pee-Pee. <laughs> Anthony Pee-Pee. <laughs> you jerks. <laughs> but speaking of the chat, so I, I, we went back and forth on, <laughs> on how we was going to go about this. Okay. So we got to give away four tickets to the USFL Championship. Yep. Pittsburgh Ballers, Birmingham Stallions, man. Shout out to our man, Boogie. 
Give me the ninth person with the word subscriber. Ooh, I Again, like that. the ninth person with the word subscriber. Speaking of our YouTube page, our PCC Air Force question of the day is posted on our community tab today. It's not going to be in the chat. So we need everybody in the chat, everybody that's uh, part of the UCSS uh, community, go over to the community poll, chat on our question of the day. Our question of the day is, what do you believe the Cleveland Cavaliers' most significant issue is? The three options are roster construction, coaching, youth and development, and we'll give the answer at the end of our first hour. While you're over there, make sure you're subscribing to the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show as well. If you're already subscribed, make sure you go to tell, tell a friend, a family member, a coworker, associate, All a stranger, a baby, uh, <laughs> a baby's baby, <laughs> the whole nine. Yeah, tell, tell everybody if you haven't hit that subscribe button yet, please do. It does help us go a long way. And we're going to start today, Earl, with the Guardians, who put up 14 runs yesterday. A little fun fact for you guys. It's the second time in Cleveland baseball history a Bell and a Ramirez have homered in the same game. Wow. Just a different iteration uh, of wow. Bell and Ramirez. This I, Bell doesn't have an E on the end of his name. I think I would still take this version of the, the old version of Bell today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> over, <laughs> over, fr- over Fran Mill Bell. As, yeah. As, Fran like, Mill. today, as constituted. Like, you Albert, know. I'd take Albert, bad, busted, hip and all. You know, Manny's still playing, too. He playing in, uh, he, he's playing uh, A-ball, low A-ball, like somewhere in uh, Nicaragua or something, dog. <laughs> well, either way, it was a 14-to-1 thrashing over the Royals last night. Ramirez got it started with the Grand Slam early on, then the Guardians kept piling on. Bo Naylor hit his first home run. We're going to get into the second part of this topic, which is how much of a league can the Guardians build in first place moving forward. But let's start with the game last night 14 runs at their highest offensive output of the season i don't want to say are you surprised by the offensive output but frankly it has become so few and far between these offensive magnifications do you think bats are contagious like are hot bats contagious in the sense that we saw last night three home runs lead to 14 runs yeah absolutely like streaks go both hot and cold when couple guys go cold it can be contagious when a couple guys get hot it sort of relieves the pressure off everybody else and that's also contagious I mean the Royals are a triple-a team that certainly helps like hey you got to feast when you can and baseball is such a wonky game that stuff like this sometimes emerges out of nowhere we yeah. saw it last night with Domingo Herman. he got absolutely destroyed in his last two starts yeah. and throws a perfect game last night it's that's the nature of baseball and so a team that's struggling can all of a sudden have an explosion and put it all together you know I don't think th- this means that the this is the launching point for the Guardians to go on some power tear, but certainly <laughs> it was it was long overdue and it was good to see. Yeah, sometimes in in these games, you know, like Jason said, like you know when when you're playing baseball, like you know you can have a doubleheader. The first doubleheader, you get shut out and get get somebody throw a one hitter or a no hitter on you. The next game, you come back. And all of a sudden, you have one of the best games you've had, two for three, three for four, maybe a couple RBIs, a few home runs. You know, you put double digits on the board. Um, if there's no – the hardest part about, you know, talking about baseball is kind of like projecting whether this is an anomaly or this is something that you're going to be able to consistently do on a on a consistent, regular basis. Like, you know, and, and I think at this point where you're, you're almost 80 games into the season and you're 500 – um, the Guardians are where they are. They're, they're average, right? They're they're average team um, when it comes to um, you know their overall construction. They're a below average power team. They do pretty good in in the, in the field defensively, but I, I don't think this is going to be any sort of sign that they're going to start waking up hitting all these home runs now. Um, I will say that, you know one of the guys that that is is been really um, that I, I would like to watch and has really done some stuff is Naylor, not Bo Naylor. The OG Naylor is actually holding, Naylor's it, but right now. holding it down. And and by the way, Bo Naylor, I like what he did. I loved what he did, and people may not even really notice this. I love that he bought back the red cleats. Yeah. He bought back the red cleats. <laughs> I haven't seen him so long. I'm like, yo, I, I forgot how <laughs> fire that is when you throw him with them Guardians uniforms. I liked him, and they was low-key high tops, too. And he got the Nike wristband. I, I, he looked apart. Hang on. 
Either Kansas Spelly struck again or else the Guardians changed their name again. The Cleveland baseball team has again changed its name. Oh, yeah, there uh, is. The Guardian. I think Earl did graphic. That is not Earl Spelly. That's Earl the Pearl. That's Earl the Pearl. Hey, you see how he clicked that graphic. Earl the Pearl also shine. Hey, two things on Naylor real quick. One, he's 6 for 19 in his last five games. That's 312 batting average. Really good. Yeah. Mike Zito had five hits all of May. <laughs> I'm serious. In his last five games, Bo Naylor has more hits than Mike Zito had all of May. That's unbelievable. He's six for 19. That's, that's, that's good. 312, obviously, you take that, you run to the bank, you give him a massive contract if you do that for a career. That's not otherworldly like Luis Arise in Miami. And it's still more hits than Mike Zito has had in the entire month of May. I went back and looked. This was the sixth time the Guardians have scored double-digit runs this season. So the question of bats contagious, I went back and I wanted to see, well, if they scored 10 runs, how they do in their following games. What do you think they averaged in the day or game after a 10 run or more outburst? 2.7. You said 2.7? Well, I was expecting that as well. Yeah. I'm going to give you the answers. On April 3rd, they scored 12 runs in a win over Oakland. They won 4-3 the following day. That's above. On May 31st, they beat Baltimore 12-8. to They followed that up with a 7-6 loss. They beat Boston 10-3. The next day, they scored 10 runs against Houston, and that was that crazy 14-8, yeah, five, yeah, yeah. five come from behind win, so a little skewed. They still scored 10 runs. They followed that up with a 6-4 W over Houston again. And then they scored 12 runs against Arizona, and we don't really want to talk about the game after that. <laughs> that, is, that is the game. They won. 3-2, but it took them 11 innings to score three yeah. runs. So they're averaging 4.8 runs the day after a 10-run outburst, which is way higher than their season average. So I do think there is even a little bit of statistical proof on top of what we th- see and feel in the eye test and kind of the vibe check that they are hot. But then if we go two games out, then we don't want to talk about that. Trust it's me. Right back. Those numbers, those numbers get real ugly real quick. So hopefully this is the start of something to come for the Guardians. They are now in first place. They have 11 games left before the All-Star break, guys. What record do you think they have? So they have one game against KC. They go to Chicago for three games, and they have the Braves for three. The Braves are playing unbelievable baseball right now, and they come back to Kansas City, or home for Kansas City for four more games. 11 games for the All-Star break. They are in first place. Earl, can we see the standings? They have a half-game lead over Minnesota. What do you think the division standings will look like come the All-Star break? Will it still be Guardians then Minnesota? And if so, by how many games will they be ahead of Minnesota for first place? 11 games, uh, 45 and 44. I think it's probably, I, I think it'll be right around this. Um, I sent, did we get that graphic loaded? Can we talk, you want to talk about it now or later? We bring them now. It's a, it's a phenomenal graphic if we have it ready. So I just did a quick Google last night and I actually had wanted, because Bulls talked all year long about, you know, how bad the division is and has there ever been a team with a losing record in, in first place for the All-Star break. We didn't go quite that. This is from MLB.com. And through the first 81 games, some awful records that wound up winning the division. If you look at, I mean, the Dodgers 10 years ago from 38 to 92 is, is remarkable. Go down the list just a little bit. You see the 2022 Guardians, uh, 40 and 41 last year after, after at the halfway point and finished with 92 wins. And it's just kind of funny. You know, I do think that the power is worse this year than last year, but a lot of the other things probably equate. And it just feels worse because I think expectations were higher. There was no expectations yeah. last year. So for them to be 40 and 41 probably kind of felt like about what they should be. And then they got red hot. All Tito teams get hot in July and August and, and really turned it on. And, and easily that could happen again. You know, with the power situation, what it is, I still have a hard time believing this is a World Series contender. But clearly there's the evidence that you could be 40 and 41 at the midway point and still win 90 games at the all-star break. You could be hovering around 500 and still win 90 games. There's, there's evidence that it's, it's easily doable. And real quick before you go, G, those were teams who ended up winning the division, not necessarily the first place team in the right. division. That's so, exactly right. So the bulls, when bull says, I'm not sure if a first place team has ever been sub 500 midway through the point and won the division. Yeah. That's not an apples to apples graphic, but to your point, it's not unheard of for a team who struggled in the first half, catch fire in the second, win a, win the division and make a deep run in the playoffs. Yeah. <clears throat> the Guardians remind me of, of remember them old school uh, Memphis Grizzlies teams with Zach Randolph, Mark Gasol, Mark Gasol, Gasol Tony Allen, Tony Allen, Mike Conley, Mike Conley. and they, the grindhouse. You, you know, there was always a two, three, four seed 
you know, you it, they was tough to play. You knew what you was going to get from them, but it was just tough to go in. But but when it came to the playoffs, you just knew they just they just didn't have enough. Like you look at the stats, you'd be like, wow, Gasol is a defensive player of the year. You'd be like, Randolph had 20 and tw- 20 and 10, like he always do. Mike Conley got 10, 10 assists, 17 points. But then you look at the stats, you'd be like, well, mm, that's just not enough for some reason. It's not going to get it done. And I look at the Guardians kind of the same way. Like every year you can look at them and they could be 500, little, little above, little below, going into the All-Star break. They'll get hot. They'll get to the playoffs. But like, do they really, really, really got enough? Like when, like when you get, are, are they putting fear in people? Like, no. I don't want to play the, no. I don't want to play the Guardians. I think it's the opposite. I think when the Guardians get in the playoffs, you're like, hey, they play defense, but guess what? It's defense. You ain't supposed to be making errors anyway. They got some pitchers, but let's get to the second or third pitcher. And we know we could always count on the fact that we're going to have more power than them. So for me, I, I think the Guardians have a nice, a nice team. I think they got a, a team that can do something and make the playoffs and win the division. But like Jason said, I can't, I, I can't really go out and be like, oh, these guys are going to really make a deep run because it's just the, there's deficiencies in, in, in the way they, they put the roster together. And there's context we have to look at here. If the Guardians today were in the American League West, they'd be ten games below Texas oh, wow. in fourth place. If mm-hmm. they were in the AL East. They'd be in dead last place. They'd be in sixth place, 16 games behind the Rays. So because they're in first place in the AL Central, we said it all year long. This is not a surprise. The AL Central sucks. If they were in any other division in the American League, as of today, they'd be completely out of it. They're not even in contention for a wild card spot with their sub-500 record. I mean, they are seriously. They would be sixth place below the last place Red Sox in the American League East. Mm. However, they've benefited playing in the AL Central. When you play in the AL Central, you are literally never dead unless you're the Kansas City Royals who are My goodness. non-existent and – like you said on Monday or Tuesday, they're a quadruple A team. Yeah, they're a like they're, they're so bad. So I don't say that to be negative about the Guardians. I say that just to put in context where they are. I do think as you look ahead, we know Terry Francona's teams get better in the summer months. We know that some of the guys in this lineup are better than they've been playing. Andres Jimenez, better than he's been playing. Jose Ramirez has been better of late. I don't think we've seen a typical Jose season to date yet. Josh Bell can't be any worse. He literally can't be any worse. And I think Bo Naylor, by the fact that he's alive playing, is an upgrade over Mike Zanino. So when these pieces kind of come together, there's a lot of hope for this Guardians team to not just take a little step forward and end up being, you know, 84 and 78 and win the division based on the fact that everyone else around them is terrible. I think they have the pieces to come together, especially with the young pitching and Williams, Bybee, Allen, Bieber, if McKenzie can come back this season, I wouldn't expect it. But if he can, you have the pitching pieces in place. You have the pieces in the lineup that, in theory, should play better as the season goes along to at least put an ounce of fear. I'm not saying this the big, bad boogie monster of the American League, but it's also not a team you see on the playoff schedule and just be like, oh, that's a cakewalk. Let's look ahead and pencil ourselves into the next round. No. Um, This season is a little more – this is a little more intriguing because – even if they make the postseason, the thing I'm excited about is guess what? You're gonna get have three potentially three rookies pitching in the postseason, right? So we, we talked about how uh, how great experience was um, that we wanted to get the experience for Garland and those guys and Mobley when they lost the playing game to the Hawks. And people talk about how that kind of stunted the growth a little bit, set everything back a year. But this year, the one of the one of the silver linings is you're gonna see how many young guys. Come back again. That got experience last year. The Quans, the Jimenezes of the world. Um, now you got three new pitchers. Um, uh, Allen, Bobby, and Gavin Williams are going to get an opportunity to pitch in the postseason as well. And that'll be exciting to, to a certain extent to see how those guys do because I don't I don't think McKenzie's coming back. So you, you'll get the chance to see what they look like under those lights. Jason, you haven't heard anything that would make you believe McKenzie will pitch again this year, have you? I don't think so. Yeah. No, I, he's waiting on a second opinion. I think he's getting a second opinion. More than and, – and really, it's do you have surgery or not, I, I think. Like, I don't want to speak out of turn here. Uh, do you have Tommy John surgery or is there a way, way to rehab this without it? And regardless, whether you have it now or a month from now, you're going to miss all of next year anyway. So you might as well take your time on this. Yeah and see if, if it's really necessary or not. But, yeah, he's not coming back anytime soon. We talked about this when McKenzie was coming back from injury the first time. Yeah. When he, and I know Jay was sitting here and Jay made the point. When he was in the dugout, it seemed like 
he was kind of the energizer buddy the, the team was feeding off. And even the offense, he just seemed to be a locker room guy, a clubhouse guy that everyone loved to be around. And whether or not that actually translates directly to on-field results, there's no way to actually tell. But it seemed like they started playing a little better. Gavin Williams comes up last week. His first start, okay, not okay. great. Yeah. His second start, phenomenal. Yeah. Do you think he has the potential to be a guy that the team kind of galvanizes around as, hey, this guy's potential is through the damn roof, and he's on our side now. It's not the Otanis. It's not the Ellie De La Cruz's. It's our guy, Gavin Williams. Do you think he has that potential to kind of be a galvanizing factor for this team? Yeah, but forward? probably not this year. I okay. think it's a lot to put on a guy who's made two career starts going into his third career start. There, there's, he's going to have growing pains just like everybody else. He's going to get hit around. They all do at, at this stage. He's going to have up and down performances. But, you know, I mean, you got to remember McKenzie's in what, year three now? So it's easier for him to sort of be that guy because yeah. he's more established. But, it, but they are what they are right now. And this is a young rotation, obviously. It's going to be a young rotation uh, for, for forever, really, with this team and the way that they operate. So uh, I think they are going to rely heavily on Gavin Williams. We've talked at length on the show about, about Bieber and what's going to happen with him. And I still think they move him. And that's going to put even more pressure on Gavin Williams. It wouldn't surprise me if they go to a six-man rotation for a little while. When Cal Quantrill comes back, it alleviates some of the innings off all of these young guys so they don't get overworked. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, the future on Gavin Williams, obviously, is to be that guy. I just don't know that you can ask him to be that this early in his career. Oh, trust me, McNuggets. Oh, trust me. They're, so this is, this is setting it up to be, like, cover of Baseball America and That's cover of Sports Illustrated where they where they talk about these three young arms. Get ready for the – everybody that got three young pitchers, they compare them to the Braves. Get ready. To, it's coming. <laughs> everybody wants Lab and Maddox and Smoltz. It's going to be here. And they'll talk about they're 12 years old, they're 13, they barely <laughs> got library cards, and they, they're the hottest things moving. Now, I don't know if they're going to translate that into, into some wins. I don't know if that's going to be a pennant, but – uh, they'll be exciting. They'll be the new darling. People will talk to, about them a lot in the rotation because it's very rare to have three guys up. And I'm surprised. I'm going to give him credit. I'm surprised the Guardians even did it. Yep. I thought maybe one of them. When I seen Allen, I thought, man, you know what? That I was salty because I'm like, well, we ain't seeing Bobby then. Then Bobby came up and I was like, ooh, like Gavin Williams, he might be there a whole other. No, they brought all three of them up. And I'm, I was like, wow. And it looks like that was part of the plan. Oh, it was part of it. The, they had to. They had. They had to. Number one, because you got to make a decision on Bieber, and you got to mm -hmm. see if these other guys are ready. Number two, it was time. They, they were. You can't. You have to have an opportunity in the big league rotation, but at the same time, like when they're ready, you got to. You got to find room for these guys, and and it's worked out. And this is how they do it. Like there's another wave behind them, that's a couple of years away, and they, this is how that they. This is how they. They're able to maintain with the payroll that they are and be as competitive as they are is the way that they're able to produce this pitching. Oh, what's up? So we're talking about these young, talented pitchers, and we, we get it, they're rookies, but if the Guardians make the playoffs, they're going to play a major role. We know what the changes was to the rules for Major League Baseball this year. But with Bo Naylor also being up in the big leagues who's caught for, for all three of them, does that help? With the learning curve, does that help make things a little easier for these rookie pitchers? Yeah, I think for sure it does. Yeah. Because this isn't day one where you have a catcher trying to learn all these new guys. They've all thrown to him. So he knows what they like to throw in certain situations and certain counts. Now, the scouting yeah. reports on the hitters change. But in terms of the comfortability of the pitcher and being able to get into a rhythm, it's, it's such a delicate thing. I know it sounds silly, but that's why you have some pitchers that have had personal catchers because guys just enjoy throwing to – they, they know how pitchers think, and they just are able to fall into a rhythm. So I, I think Bo having come up with these guys is, a, is I won't say it's a huge advantage, but it's absolutely, it, it sort of fast-tracks the learning curve uh, be, from the minors to the majors. I, and let me ask you this question. How much, you know, I remember back in the day, um, my dad talking about, you know, um, just the simple fact that, you know, pitchers back then didn't, you know, he, he came up at a time where it started to be where pitchers didn't hit anymore mm -hmm. because he talked about how he used to pitch and, and how much um, it, of a mental game it was when you're thinking about throwing pitches and getting guys out. It was just rough to, to be concentrating on batting. How much are catchers now calling their own games? Like, how does that happen a lot? Like, wh what level of input do they have? Like, is it just like, 
I'm out, he's up there calling what he wants to call, or is it more of a, a collaboration type thing between the manager, the pitcher, and the catcher? I think most instances it's the catcher and pitcher calling the game. It, I, I don't think it happens very often where you get bench input. Maybe in a situation like this where it's a young guy, mm -hmm. and, and I don't know the answer with Bo. Oh, Tommy calls his own pitches. Yeah. He's got that little thing on his, his bicep that yeah. he pushes a button and it buzzes the catcher, and he's like, I'm throwing fastballs. Boom. Yeah. Catch your nose. But a lot of times, again, when you work with a guy for a certain amount of time, you know what they want to throw. And I think it, it depends on the relationship. Sometimes if it's a young pitcher, you have to rely on your veteran catcher. And sometimes the other way around. Certainly if it's a veteran pitcher and a young catcher, the pitcher is going to tell you what he's throwing. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't think that there's much bench involvement mm. on on pitch sequences and stuff like that. That's a little known. That's a, that, that's a little – that isn't talked about a lot, which is a lot. Just the fact that like you're thinking about it, like kind of like a point guard in basketball, like, you know, does Chris Paul call every play like is he calling or or is it just a situation where it's a flow like co coach might want some out of a timeout or they'll just go with just basically some different. Yeah, sometimes coaches will a lot of times coaches will make the call from the bench. Yeah. So since you mentioned it in the finals, the first year LeBron came back in the finals. Mm -hmm. Blatt was calling plays from the bench, and LeBron was just coming down and running whatever. <laughs> I, had, I had people on the Warriors, because by the time you get to the finals, everybody knows everybody else yeah, is playing. Yeah, there's no secrets. Right, and they were laughing. I had people on the Warriors telling me, the coaching staff, they were laughing because Blatt was like calling plays, and LeBron wasn't even looking over there. He was just coming down and running whatever he wanted. <laughs> and, and, and everyone thinks, oh, whatever, I don't even get in the black hole. But, but, it, but it, and it, that's not, I mean, that's happened before, too, where yeah. guys feel like they're on the floor. They, right. they have a feel for what's going on, what's going to work or not. But that was one that bro, instance. that that boy David Black man, he just did. Listen, he felt like he had a he had a whole nother program he had signed up for, and he get LeBron <laughs> back, and then like the for the simple fact that LeBron went to the finals and had Delhi and David Black, yeah, with major input, major yeah. roles, and won. That's amazing to me. So that's to bring, amazing to me. To bring this back to the Guardians, the cap it before we move on. They play the Royals. Final game of the, the series tonight. Bieber's on the mound for Zach Greinke, who I think might be 68 years old. <laughs> I, think he knows, I think he's on his 27th season. And he can still, still pitch. pitch. He can, he's not bad. still pitch. So my question is, scored 14 last night. They scored two in the opener. Their over-under line is five and a half tonight. Would you take the over or the under for tonight's game? I would take the under. Under? I think, I think Greinke's ERA is right around four. Greinke has not been bad this year. He's yeah. On a better average. team, he could have a, a better record. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would still, I think four is probably where I would land on it. Yeah, I would say four. Grinky, like you said, he still could pitch. Like, man, he's been in the game forever. And he still played for the Royals. Like, that's He went from the Royals, Royals to, to like the, seven other teams. To, and, and they back came to the back Royals. to the Royals. Like, he's the only person that ever wanted to go back to Kansas City. <laughs> like, like sampling LA and Phoenix and all the other yeah, that, party cities. The Grinky stories are legendary, though. He's, yeah. his, own, he's his own dude. Weird man. guy, but good yeah. for him. I'll take the over. I'm going to go with my bats are contagious theory, and I'm, I'm riding with Bo Naylor. I don't care what anyone says. Six for 19 in his last five games, and if he's hitting, I do think it, it kind of affects everyone else. Well, I think he's got five hits in his last three games. Yeah. So, like, you know, maybe he's starting to figure it out and string some things together. Obviously, we need more at-bats to see. Yeah. He still – I think he struck out in every game. A little alarming, a little concerning. Hopefully, that gets under control. He should walk more the more – the more – comfortability he sees the more he figures out major league pitching he'll be a guy who gets on base a little bit more than your normal catcher hopefully uh but yeah it's it's good signs for him that maybe he's starting to settle in a little bit he's not a bad athlete as catcher like no he's not, he's like, the play he made the other night did you guys talk about we that? did the yeah, yeah. Oh, he's not a bad athlete man oh. you know he's not a stick in the mud bro there aren't many catchers in in the league who can that, throw that guy out that pirouette I, throw was I have a crazy theory. so he's so young yeah. right in, in not just in real life, but in, in catching terms, because he wasn't always a catcher coming through the system. His knees are still springy. I think if you catch enough games in Major League Baseball, just the the toll of catching, yeah. I think there's less than, like, five catchers, starters and backups in Major League Baseball that can make that throw. You could be right. Like it, it, it was, That is completely unfounded by science. That is just me that was knowing that you, it hurts your knees, it kills your knees. Just an incredible play. Unreal, yeah. yeah. To not only catch it, but then spin and still get to so still throw him out. Dot. Like, just, I mean, that was a yeah. dot. Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. Like, I, mean, I, feel like, I feel like that should be a special move. 
Like, it's like a street fighter. Like, if finish him. If Zanino's back there, that ball's in the stand. Oh, oh, he doesn't get a glove on it. Runners at third. <laughs> oh, I hear we got some breaking news. Yeah, man, we actually, we got a couple things for breaking news uh, right now. Hit us. Uh, first things first, breaking news on the Cleveland Guardians. Steve, you could take tag board four. This is from Mandy Bell. The Guardians have optioned Logan Allen to AAA and recalled Michael Kelly. Uh, DeMarlo Hill will manage again today out of an abundance of caution for Tito. Real that quick, just came out within the last 10 minutes. Real quick, who's Michael Kelly? I'm not familiar with who that is in their minor league system. I don't know. It's probably a reliever. Allen pitched yesterday, so it makes sense that he'd be optioned down if they need an extra arm in the bullpen. I have no I, – I, I, I won't talk about someone I don't know. I've never heard of Michael Kelly in my life. I thought, that so, was, I thought that was like the Browns practice squad running back. Yeah, that's, he's John, probably, that's John Kelly. He's, oh, okay, probably, <laughs> he's probably a reliever. Uh, I mean, you got a decision to make with Quantrill coming back, but yeah. I have a hard time believing Logan Allen's out of the rotation. I mean, he I didn't pitch know. great yesterday. I mean, he threw 98 pitches through three and a half innings, but yeah. he didn't give any runs. Yeah, so. yeah. I don't know. I mean. Interesting. They, they have too many pitchers right now. They do. They got to figure out the rotation because they have six, seven guys who are competing for starts and you can't go to a seven man rotation. Right. That's just not plausible. Uh, That's yeah. interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Earl, what's the next one? All right, man. So as we move on to the cast, we got more breaking news. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers are fully guaranteeing for SETI, uh, Jetty Osmond. I'm sorry. 6.7 million contract for the 2023-24 season. Sources tell ESPN. That's no surprise. Yeah. I'm still not convinced he's on this team next year. They could use him in a trade. That's a very manageable contract. Um, but that's that was that was paperwork. That was they weren't yeah, gonna, that, they weren't going to let him they weren't going to cut him loose. Yeah, I mean, they don't got nobody else. <coughs> I mean, what? I made I made <laughs> they, they, yeah like. Well, are we going to get right into the topic, girl? Because if it does, this leads into one of the yeah. So uh, yeah. our next topic on the Cavs, and it, it kind of goes with this here. You know, we all know what the Cavs' issues are, but which issue to you three rank higher in priority? being the roster construction, the coaching, or simply just the youth of the, some of the players and the development of uh, some of the players? Well, I know Jason's going to go off on this one. So, Jason, do you want to start or do you want to clean up here? You go first. All right, well, I'll go first. We'll go down the line this way then. I think it's fair to criticize J.B. Bickerstaff. I think it's fair to say this team had no playoff experience last year. But I think this roster, top to bottom, is extremely flawed. I have two main rules in basketball. There's a lot of little ones, but two main ones I'll live and die by. One, wings win rings, and two, you can't win if you can't shoot. Let's look at this Cleveland Cavaliers roster for a sec. To my fellows to the right, how would you grade the Cavs' cluster of wing players? Cluster? Uh, D minus. <clears throat> they don't have any effort. Would you say this team can shoot? No. No. Judge, case closed. Yeah. But in totality, they have the stars. They drafted Mobley. They traded for Donovan Mitchell. They drafted and re-signed Darius Garland. I, I, Jared Allen fits in that role. He's an all-star. I don't think he's an elite caliber player, but he's certainly good. They've done the hard part, and I'm going to steal Jason's line. I know he's probably going to touch on this again, but it's the other parts of the roster that they have, in my opinion, catastrophically failed to fill out to maximize the talent at the top. You can't go into a season again with guys on the wing, especially in the three and four position, the two and three position, whatever you want to call those wings, who can't shoot consistently. They need guys to space the floor to maximize the talents of their two bigs who neither has shown a propensity to make jump shots outside of the paint, and their two guards who are elite at creating off a of pick and roll. Defensively, yeah, it worked in the regular season, but they weren't tough enough in the post. They didn't have a dog. That comes to your general manager, to your front office, to find guys to fill those side roles on this roster to give this team a little toughness, a little grit, and even veteran leadership. I give Kobe Altman and the front office credit for trying to get Danny Green. It didn't work out as they planned because he didn't turn out to be the player that they thought he could be with the rest of the season moving forward. And we look at these numbers. Offensively, they were efficient because they didn't shoot a lot of threes. In today's day and age, you wouldn't die by the three. This Cavs team was built to play basketball in like 2004. Newsflash, that was two decades ago. This roster is not currently constructed to win in today's era of NBA basketball. And for that, if there was all the issues in the Cavs, and I do think it's fair to criticize other facets, the poor roster construction, in my opinion, is their biggest flaw last year, and without some major changes will be their biggest flaw heading into next season. G? 
<clears throat> as much as I would like to uh, come on here and give you something different and give you another perspective, a different angle, I would love to do that. I would love to say, you know what, McNuggets, it's the coaching or it's just the overall youthful exuberance of the rock. No, I can't. Um, you hit on a lot of things. Um, one, one thing when you talk about the roster, I look at some of the guys that they got. Not, not only do they not have small forward depth, they don't even have a small forward, not one. If you look at that Cavs, the Cavs wing players right there, Karis LeVert is not a wing. Karis LeVert is a two guard. Isaac Okoro is a non-shooting two guard. Jetty can technically classify as that. Lamar Stevenson is not a wing. Like these guys have skill sets of power forwards. These yeah. guys got skill sets of 1992 power forwards. Like they, they play like Xavier McDaniel and, and, and Terry Cummings and and Buck Williams. These dudes can't shoot outside the paint. Lamar Stevenson is not scared nobody on the playground, on double rims. He's not. If he's at the Y, we like self-checked. Let Lamar pull up. Uh, listen, the fact that Isaac Okoro is a six foot three power forward cracks me up. He's not even P.J. Tucker. At least P.J. Tucker is going to be a 6'3 power forward who's going to be gritty. He's going to get offensive rebounds. And I love Isaac Okoro. He's like the nicest guy in the world. I like him. He's cool. Uh, he's a great locker room guy. But the reality of the situation is we be, we've been closing our eyes trying to make him be a three for the longest time and, and it, since he got here. And it just doesn't work. Uh, you know, you take a look at what he's been bringing to the table. You take a look at the size. And not only the size, look at the length. You got Garland, smallish. Darius Gar, uh, 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 excuse me, uh, Donovan Mitchell, smallish. Then you're putting the Cora in, and Cora was six five. So look at the like, and you're going against these other teams, and I'm looking at the lineups. I'm like, that just puts so much stress on you defensively, and then not to mention offensively when you're playing with two bigs. The roster is constructed with odds and end parts, and and I just don't see where the where the thought process was in, in trying to get these guys to fit and mold into a cohesive unit. Jason. Yeah, I, I have to agree on the uh, the personnel and it's it's to me it's roster construction. I said it all throughout the playoffs shooting 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 shooting. You got to have shooting elite defense is not as important as shooting. You can win with average to even subpar defense. If you have elite shooting, it's a lot easier to win that way than it is with elite defense and subpar shooting. And the Cavs just don't have any shooters that scare you. And that's the biggest issue going into free agency. And that's the biggest need to address. They have got to find more shooting. And I've given them a lot of credit on this show and elsewhere for their ability to find guys like Dean Wade and Lamar Stevens. They've been scrap heap finds that they've developed into useful pieces. And Dean Wade should be a good shooter. He, he wasn't last year, whether it was the shoulder or the mental after Kevin left. He, he fell apart uh, when, when they moved on from Kevin. So you hope that maybe that's a guy who can sort of refine his re, re, refine his shooting form, but they have to go out and they've got to get others. And and while they've done a nice job of developing some guys, they've missed on the wings, uh, like Austin Reeves, Max Struess. These are guys who were trash heap guys who other teams found, discovered, and turned into really useful pieces who are now going to get paid. And now it's too late for where the Cavs are at because you can't take an undrafted guy now or even an Amani Bates who we talked about the other day it takes three years minimum for those guys really to be useful on a, a, a useful rotation piece on a team trying to win a championship. Well, Cavs are in that window now. As soon as they made the trade for Donovan, they became a team trying to win a championship. So where do you go? Uh, you know, we can have that conversation probably here maybe today or tomorrow. I've been high on Dante DiVincenzo. I've kind of cooled on that a little bit. I was kind of poking around. I, I think Max Drews is probably the best option for them in free agency. Uh, He's probably going to be more than the mid-level. That's where a contract like Jetty could come in useful in a sign-and-trade type thing. If you, if, you can't, if you have to overpay over the mid-level, then it becomes a sign-and-trade issue, and they don't have a ton of useful pieces to pull something off, but that's where they have to get creative. The problem with being capped at the mid-level is there's a lot of teams that have the mid-level, so now you have to sell yourself to free agents on, on what else can you give them. They clearly have a hole at the three, clearly, uh, but they, they just have to find more shooting, regardless of where that comes from. And if you look at the list of teams that won championships, because that's what we're talking about here, right? Yeah. You have to, they're trying to win a championship. Go back over the last 10, 15 years and look at the starting small forwards on all of those championship teams. It's guys like LeBron, Kevin Durant, Giannis. The only exception where it's not a transcendent superstar type player 
is really this last year with Michael Porter Jr., a really good player, but not in the, obviously in the class we've talked about before. Andrew Wiggins on the Warriors last year, a really good player, but not on that and list. And he did that play we're talking phenomenal about. in the playoffs last he year. Did. He, like, oh, he, he upped out. his game to another level. Absolutely. Yeah. And Harrison Barnes back in the day with, yeah. with the Warriors. But what did those teams have? They had unbelievable shooting and transcendent players yeah. and Nikola Jokic. That plays small forward, small forward, yeah. yeah. right? And and the Warriors obviously with the best shooting backcourt in the history of the game. Yeah. So they and and the Cavs don't have that. Like they have really nice pieces. Uh, the, yeah. Their backcourt is terrific. But let's be honest, Darius and Donovan are not on the level of prime stuff and prime. It's play. like you say, if you don't have a good three, you can only keep a top twenty player of all time. Right. Not a top twenty player in today's NBA. Right. Like top twenty all time, and that's where Steph, Jokic, and those guys fall. That's into. exactly it. Donovan Mitchell. All NBA second team, obviously a very, very good player, an All Star. He should make three, four, five, six, seven more All NBA teams in his career. But I don't think anyone's going to come up here and argue that he's a top five, six, seven guy in the NBA. Team. Earl, do you want to make that argument? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. But I got a question for you, Jason. <laughs> Go Shoot. ahead, buddy. So you've educated me on how important the wing position is in the NBA, and I think that's something that all coaches, all all general managers, all scouts know. And I feel like now, just listening to you all debate this topic. Why make the trade for Donovan Mitchell if you know you need an impact wing? Do you think Kobe Altman actually explored trying to get a wing player first, or was it all about just trying to acquire Donovan Mitchell? Well, they tried getting a wing on the Nance deal, and there was no wing to go get. So they traded for Lowry Markkinen, and they made him into a wing. But that I'm, I'm looking at it, Jason. Like, they had – Lowry Markkinen was a wing. Well – I mean, Markkinen's a good player. Donovan Mitchell's better. Yes. And, and, you know, why do you go after Donovan? Well, players of his caliber don't come along very often, although I think we're going to start to see it more and more over these next couple of summers. But at the time, you don't, you don't know. So Donovan fit perfectly age-wise with this nucleus. He filled a need, a scorer shooter. Like, he, he is that, and that's what they needed. And he's certainly an upgrade over Colin Sexton, 100%. So I get why they made the move. And was it a year early? Maybe. But you can't predict when these guys are going to become available. So you've got to go when they're there to be had. Would you rather have Donovan Mitchell last summer or Bradley Beal this summer? I'll take Donovan Mitchell over Bradley Beal. Do you believe, do you believe, I'm asking both of y'all, do you believe what would the Cavs record be if they would have just kept Colin Sexton, Abaji, and Lori Martin. So this is the criticism. This is this is the fair criticism of the Donovan trade of, hey, we could have gone to the playoffs and lost in the first round with what we had. Like, that's that's fair. Would they have won 50, what, 51? 51. Would they have won 51 games? Probably not. Maybe 40, Do you win 43, 44, you're a lower seed, and you get bounced in the first round, and then you don't have nearly the vitriol from yeah. fans that they that they felt this offseason, but it's because you pushed all in on that move and still won one playoff game and lost in the first round. That's where it's fair for people to say, well, hell, we could have done that yeah. with Colin Sexton and Lowry Markkinen. So what did you do that for? Now, obviously, you have more in mind than one year, but that's where I think a lot of the hostility comes from. And I, I think that part of it that is, is fair. a fair criticism. And Earl, one thing on the wings. Wings are like gold in the NBA. Like, really good wings just don't, Get traded. It's happened. Paul George has moved. Kawhi got traded. But look at the returns that those guys have brought back. Now, Mitchell brought back a significant haul in his own right. Like, that's not to discriminate what the Cavs got from Mitchell for anyone else. But when you say they should have went shopping for a wing, really good young wings on relatively team-friendly deals just aren't It's kind of like saying the Browns should have gone shopping for a franchise quarterback. Right. Yeah. Like, right. like every team's out there shopping in the third round. So, yeah. Right. So no, I guess what I'm saying is, did he kick the tires on that first before he went about shopping they've, for they've Donovan tried, Mitchell? They've tried since LeBron left. And to I, find, now here's the thing: Would you rather they could have got Scotty Barnes? They could draft a Scotty Barnes third overall instead yeah. of Evan Mobley. Would you rather have Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley? No, I wouldn't. I'd rather have Evan Mobley. I know Agreed. Barnes won no. Rookie of the Year. No, but like that's why the Raptors took him that high. He's a nice player. Yeah, he's yeah. Nice, but he not. He but not it's moving. the importance of the position is why Scotty Barnes went as high as what he did over some of the other guys. I'd rather have Evan Mobley. And that's where, you know, they've tried. They have they've they've and tried I, every offseason to upgrade this spot. I think that they've missed 
you know, the, on on the Struces and the Austin Reeves, and there's, it's so hard to find those guys. It's hard to kill them. Why, why didn't you find Austin Reeves? But those guys are out there to be had, and they have developed Dean Wade, and they have developed Lamar Stevens, and they have made them useful pieces. But when it comes to win, it's a difference in the regular season and the postseason. You can you can win with Isaac Okoro at the three in the regular season. You're not going to win with Isaac Okoro Boom. at the three in the postseason. And, and that's where that's where this is. That's the next step in this evolution. I'll give them credit. That's why when people say, "Why are you so Why are you so uh, high on the Imani Bates pick?" and I'm like, "Because he's six foot nine. He can shoot. He can create." He hits tough shots. When I watch playoff games, I see people hitting tough shot after tough shot after tough. Like defense don't really like you said something I totally agree with. Like in the playoffs, defense really don't really matter. Like it does. You can't be atrocious. You can't be bottom two. But like in, in playoffs, it's about shot making. These dudes is pulling up and not missing. Like they got shot hands and closeouts and it don't matter. Well, and, and part of the defense thing is it's effort. In the right, and the reason elite defense in the regular season doesn't translate to the postseason is ninety-seven. That too high, maybe ninety percent of the time during the regular season, the other team's barely playing defense. Guys aren't. Guys they, don't they just don't hard. try. And you, you can say that's not true. I'm telling you, like, oh, I'm, and, I'm telling you, and you can't they, game they plan don't for, try. Night to night, you can't game plan so for it, guys. So either. yeah, exactly, because it's such a quick turnaround. In the postseason, teams step up the, their defensive intensity because they know, hey. We're out if we lose, yep. and everyone's defense improves, which is where difficult shot making. To your point with Amani Bates, and here runs you a lot of Michael Porter Jr., especially early in his career, where he it, it took Porter Jr. overcoming some Did injuries. You just compare Amani Bates to Michael Porter Jr. Their style of play, where all he does oh. is catch the balls, take step back threes. Listen, listen. That's you what Michael, I'm saying. He, he, you watch enough, he reminds me of Michael Porter Jr. Worst take of the year. Hey, Jason, get off my back now. That's who his game reminds me of. Hey, listen. Here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to tell Gee, everybody. You're going to get your heart broke by Imani Bates. Nah. You're going to get your heart broke. No, no, no. Listen, <laughs> yeah, you are. It, like, see, here's the thing. I'm looking at it not even from an emotional standpoint. I'm looking at it from like this. If the Cleveland Cavaliers can develop Dean Wade and Dean Wade don't have the natural physical talent that he has, why can I not believe that if Lamar Stevens can make it, he can't make it? We'll, we'll do a deep dive on Amani Bates. Lamar, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do a deep dive. We'll do a deep dive. Don't worry, it's coming. We'll, we'll, we'll get to some... it. J- Jason, we're going to come back and visit this. Middle of the season. We gonna... Now, he might be with the charge. <laughs> now, he's, he's going to start He might be in Poland. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, we're going to take a look at these stats in the middle of the year. Now, listen, JB don't be hating either. He's going to take seven to ten bad shots in summer league. It's cool. <laughs> Let the man pull this up. This is what I'll tell you about Imani. I've talked to probably people from maybe four or five teams now. Right. No one has said anything good about Imani Bates. There's a reason he was there at 49. Hey, hey, listen. And I'm not, and again, I'm not killing him for the pick. Like, I get the upside. I get why they tried it. I'm just, if you have expectations for him to come in and help this team win this year, you're going to get your heart broke. If Max Struess. It took Max Struess four years. That's, it, that's I, what I'm saying. But th- this is the thing. You got to expect, like, this is the thought process. At some point, we talked about development. If the Cavs want to get to a point where they, they respect it around the league and they, they don't have money, they don't have cap space, they have to take a look at these dudes seriously. Not like, oh, we're taking flyers. No, no. You have to look at it seriously. Like, yeah. you're not going to get the best, the, the cream of the crop. You're not getting to be be prospects. You're not getting none of them free agents. So you can sit here. You can sit here and be like, oh, he's not going to do anything. But you got to realize you got to work with what you got Cleveland. Ain't nobody coming through them doors and be like, yo, I'm here to save you. At least you got to do that. You would have if it was three years ago, if you would have said the Cavs are going to draft this guy and he was a number one prospect in the country. You say get out of here. He'll no longer be here. So yeah, he fell off in three years. But guess what? There's opportunity where somebody else spoils your opportunity. I'm going to say something nutty, but if Dean Wade can go back to the Dean Wade of the first half of the season and the guy that they signed the contract to thinking they were going to get, it will go a long way in helping a lot of the issues that we're talking about because he can shoot. He's a big who can shoot. And you're not asking him to start and give you 38 minutes a night. You're asking him to give you 20, 22 minutes a night, grab a few rebounds, hit a couple threes. That's it. Yeah. And that will make a lot of this other stuff. If, if, Karis LeVert is wildly inconsistent, but he is what he is. You have to sign him. 
We're going to talk about that one sec. All right, then I'll table that. Karis LeVert, if you can find a shooter with the mid-level or in a sign-in trade, and if Dean Wade returns the player that you thought you were signing that contract, it's going to look a little bit better than it does right now. Oh, we got the poll results here? No, we're going to actually do that at the uh, at the end of the first hour. Gotcha. But before we talk about Karis LeVert, I'm going to say this about Imani Bates, and I promise you I'm going to leave it alone. I hope he hears the noise. I hope he hears the fact that nobody has anything good to say about him, that nobody really believed that he's going to have a significant impact on the Cleveland Cavaliers long term. I hope this dude, like, finds deep within himself that that extra umph to just basically silence the haters. And and that's what I'm looking for. Like I told you all the other day, you you can't measure heart and you can't measure that chip on your shoulder. I, I don't care what scouting port you put out there, man. When, when people constantly talk down on you, talk down on your name, it, that'll piss you off enough to go be great. That's all I'm saying. We're going to find out. Because he's going to so, be in the Summer League. We're going to see. What, two, nine days? Summer League tip-off? So we'll see what Amani Bates got. By the way, got. I like that other kid they got, too. What's his name? The other undrafted kid? What's his name? From so Wichita as we're State? talking about the, uh, oh, the Cavaliers and how their roster is constructed, constructed Reports are out there that the Cavs are set to offer Karis LeVert fifteen to eighteen million dollars a year annually. I know G said that he's not truly a wing; he's more of a two guard. So, what is exactly Karis LeVert's role on his team, and how can he have the biggest impact for the Cavaliers? Jason, I want you to start because I actually texted you yesterday to confirm what I thought. But will you explain? why there's a 0.0% chance they don't re-sign Karis LeVert? Well, Karis has kind of got the leverage on them in this. And if you remember, you go back to, it's sort of like with Tristan and JR during the championship run, they're going to have to overpay for what, for what his value truly is because they have no options to replace him. It's either sign Karis LeVert or no one. It's not like you can take that money and spend it somewhere else because they're over the cap. And because they retain his rights, they can, they can offer him more. Uh, so really i don't know what the number is going to be but it's it's going to be high because he's really got the leverage on them and if you remember the contract tristan signed the contract jr signed were outrageous 85 million and it was part of it was i think similar now it's not going to be i don't know we'll wait and see how the numbers shake out on this but i do think Harris is back i think he's a bench player i think he should come off the bench it's overkill with him in the starting lineup I don't care. You start Okoro during the regular season. It doesn't matter. Uh, but it's really – it's two different conversations. It's regular season and postseason. It doesn't really matter what you do in the regular season uh, at that spot. I know we just got done saying it's the most important position, and it is. But they have enough talent around them that they can win 50, 55 games again in the regular season with Okoro, and it doesn't really matter. What matters is the postseason and what they do with that mid-level spot and Levert. And then you sort of figure out after you see the whole season play out, then you figure out what's our best approach for the playoffs. Uh, but I, I think Levert's, a, I think his his shooting is desperately needed off the bench. We just got done saying shooting, 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 and and they just don't have great bench scoring options right now. Keep. Uh, yeah, I, I mean it's kind of crazy because you know. I hate to say somebody that can get 50 points in a game is like inconsequential, but you know, this is the uh, this is the catch 22 and the dilemma that you have. You know, I was listening to Chris Broussard the other day and he just was saying like they're the Cavs are stuck in that middle place like they're a good team. Um, they're going to win a lot of games in the regular season, but unless they can get somebody to go to another level. It ain't going like it, it's just not going to work. And I'm starting to believe like the 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 the, the move has to come from within. Like the move, like the Cavs ain't going. The Cavs. You know what the move is. The Cavs can't ain't like you know just pull themselves up by their like bootstraps, or they're not going to pick they pay people this money to come in here and save them. That's not happen. Like they got to get to a new level. And I, and one of the things, and it's kind of off of the side, the Darius Garland thing is like okay. You know, we laughed about the rumors, whatever. But you know what those rumors and, and all that talk told me was that there's another level that there's there's to be attained from Darius Garland. Like, yeah. there better be. What what people yeah. are saying is that that ain't enough. Like that. Like if you think Darius Garland is is a finished product and that Darius right here to, as today is a is a guy that that is gonna be 
taking the cash somewhere different. Nah, we talk about Mobley a lot, but Darius Garland, he got to get better too. Like yeah. it ain't no like just one or the other. And I think, and we we keep talking about, and it's not just the Imani Bates. It's 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 an organizational philosophy. It's I need to be very like I need to be scrupulous on the people that we pick. I need to be looking at upside. We need to develop. We got to develop. We got to develop Mobley. We got to develop Garland. They got to get better. We it's a lot. We got to get tougher. It's a lot of self coaching and self development stuff that the Cavs have to do because I don't think that that from that outside help ain't coming. That ain't it ain't, ain't nobody coming to save you. Yeah, I mean I think. Uh, real, I just real yeah. quick. I disagree that the Cavs are stuck in the middle. I, I think. That's unfair for Chris to say or for anyone to say. This this team is too young, and they have too much of a ceiling still in front of them with guys yeah. like Mobley, and Garland does have another gear or two to get to. I think that's wildly I th- unfair I th- to I th- say. I think he was speaking from a, p- a place where, as right now, they're stuck right now in the middle, like where as if the players don't get no better – like they're in, they're in the three four based on their talent. Yeah, but Mobley's twenty one. He's going to get better. Right. Even, even if he does yeah. right, Garland. Even if Mobley doesn't reach the levels that I've thought that he would, and they think that he will, he's still going to get better. Like yeah. this team is going to get better. Yeah, and I'm with Jason on that. And the move you keep saying, what's that one move? The move is Mobley develops a jump shot. And I don't like all the not all the Cavs issues. A majority of the Cavs issues, spacing wise having a perimeter guy in the corner when these dudes drive to kick out to. It's not all solved with Evan Mobley becoming a consistent three-point shooter, but it alleviates so much pressure on the rest of the offense. And he did not take – like, this is a knock on Mobley. We expected, and we talked about it yesterday on the show, the jump from a rookie year to year two. We talked about it in terms of football yesterday with Tyvis, but it happens in all sports. And Mobley was better in year two than he was in year one, but he was a worse jump shooter. Now, part of that is opportunities. Part of that is not getting – into the rhythm of the offenses frequently with Donovan Mitchell, but hey, jump shooting is something you can work on on your own. And I don't care if you get four opportunities, you get eight opportunities, you got to make the most of those opportunities. And Evan Mobley needs to show some sort of significant improvement in my mind in terms of his jump shooting if he's going to ever reach the potential. I think, Jason, you allude to the ceiling, that true unicorn status that yeah. we all think he could become, and that's why the Cavs drafted him third overall. That's the move that unlocks the rest of the roster without adding another guy who costs 30, 40, 50 million dollars within house. That sounds good. Yeah, now could it happen? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Like, like I thought it was gonna take a baby a, step towards that last year. He went in the opposite direction, but I'm gonna hope, you know, it's you a know lot what of one step forward, two steps back. Yeah. I'm hoping it's one step back for five steps forward. <laughs> ben Simmons, we still waiting. Yeah. It, it's fair. Giannis, it, yeah. we still waiting on that consistent yeah. job. Like, it, like I, Scotty Barnes, they're going to start talking to you in a couple seconds. Hey, wait, you, you going to spread the floor, Scotty? I know you want to get to the rack, but some pretty dudes, soon. Some dudes are not shooters. Right. And, like, you could have good form. You could have good mechanics. Some guys just never develop the touch that takes to consistently make it, uh, an open jump shot or even a contested jump shot in the NBA. And I don't have any reason to believe Mobley can't develop that. But it has happened to guys. And I would argue if you get to the all-star, if you get to the trade deadline next year and it hasn't happened and it's clear that this is what he is, at least for now, then I think you really have to entertain the Jared Allen conversation. And it's nothing against Jared. It's having to play two non-shooting bigs together. If you move on from Jared, make Evan your center, really open the floor up and put playmakers you around say, them. You saying, you saying this year or next year? This, like coming this upcoming season. They're not going to, they're not trading Jared Allen right now. Okay, okay. But if you get, and I'm just spitballing here. Like I haven't put a lot of thought into this. I haven't. Yeah. This is where I get in trouble. This is where I want to get in trouble. What you're saying makes perfect sense though, because if you go through two and a half seasons, <laughs> two and a half seasons, and Evan Mobley hasn't shown us, he can be a, not even a true stretch forward, but a fourth, the ability to stretch. Yeah. Then he's a five. Yeah. And two and a half seasons. Yeah. You could, you could develop into something later. But you can't keep waiting in a championship window. We know the clock on Donovan. He now. has to be a five yeah. if he can't shoot. Yeah. And you can't play two fives together. And then I, I just, again, I haven't talked to anyone. It's just me spitballing. If we get the trade deadline and Evan hasn't advanced as a three, because I agree with you. I said the, the correction to this is if Evan can stretch the floor, yeah. now you're not playing two non-shooting bigs together. I think it's unrealistic to think he's going to go. For, what was he last year? Twenty-eight percent from three. Twenty-one percent from three. Last I, year. I think it's completely unrealistic to think he's going to go from twenty-one to thirty-five or, or somewhere in that range yeah. in, in one off season. But get close to thirty. Yeah, that would. But 
I just think if you if you remove Jarrett from that equation, make Evan your center, and then you're able to put now again they they have a deficit in shooting as it is now, but there's just a way to open up the floor because I'm only thinking about the playoffs. I don't care about the regular season. We're just thinking about the postseason here. You can play Jarrett and Evan together in the regular season. It doesn't matter. We just saw how easily it is to expose teams that don't have enough shooting in the playoffs. They, and 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 this is the thing. You're trotting out three non-shooters. And when I say non-shooters, I'm talking about the nonest. Because yeah. the coral is, is right in that mix, worst too. worst all three. Right? <laughs> Earl, it is officially noon, and you know what that means. Before we get to that, let's read the results from our PCC Air Force uh, poll. And as always, if you're looking for a job with career advancement and great benefits, well, PCC Airfoil is the lead manufacturer in Northeast Ohio. All locations of PCC Airfoil in Eastlake, Minner, Whitcliffe, and Minerva. They're hiring right now for positions starting at $18 and up. Uh, get full benefit packages, paid time off, and sign-up bonuses. Apply online today at precast.com slash careers to learn more. So as we told you at the beginning of the show, our PCC Air Force poll question was, what do you believe the Cleveland Cavaliers' most significant issue is? We had 1.2 thousand votes. So Hell shout yeah. out to the- Shout uh, out to the YouTube community. Yeah, shout out to the UCSS community. Uh, roster construction, 46% of the vote. We had 29% of the vote with youth and development. 25% of the vote was, was coaching. So a lot of people believe the roster that Kobe has put together it's the biggest issue, and JB is probably the lesser of the evils. And as you said, it is noon, and as always, the 12 o'clock hour of the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show is brought to you to our good friends by uh, the Call of Companies Championship. You get to see your favorite golf legends play in the Call of Companies Championship July 12th through the 16th at the famous Firestone Country Club in Akron. Uh, it's fun, family-friendly events all week long featuring new fans-owned experiences, Free attendance for kids and concerts every night. There's something there for everyone. Everyone. 